This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Filling in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with... Melissa Kirk. Andy Brent Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. We've got updates on the Stephen Avery case for making a murderer, and we'll be getting some insights on how to raise a child... While dealing with a toxic ex. That's next on the Tom Bernard Show. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. All right, we're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back next week. He's enjoying 10 days off. Your dad doesn't get a lot of free time, does he? Andy? Yeah, for real. So I'm getting a, <laughs> yeah, for real. I've been getting a few uh, days off lately. Yeah, I think your mom said this is uh, this would be a 10-day stretch, well, the longest stretch he's ever had of just wow. not having to do anything show-wise. Mm. Well, that's not really true, right? Wasn't he doing the, the show last week from uh-uh. Florida? Or was no. that? Uh, oh, the Key West. Oh, that was the week before. Yeah, yeah, they were doing. They were in Key West, and then they immediately went to Cuba after that, which to me seems like a lot of travel. But Cuba. John uh, John Farrick will join us sometime in this uh, segment to uh, talk about the updates in the Stephen Avery case. You know, doing uh, my show, Darkness Radio, and uh, Midnight in the Desert, we talk a lot about conspiracies, and the one conspiracy I've always stayed away from was Holocaust deniers. Mm. You know, there are actual people that believe the Holocaust never occurred, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. nobody died. I did have one guy on who addressed a whole bunch of strange uh, conspiracies, and he went into his thought process on the 
Holocaust denying. He said, I think a lot of people get lumped in with the true crazies. He said what the truth is, though, is that they elevated numbers and that some of these places where they said they gassed the Jews and this, they've actually done testing and there, there's no proof that there was ever any gassing that was done at these locations. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the murders and the things that they did were yeah. horrific, but a lot of the, they think a lot of it was just propaganda. Mm. So it's it's kind of interesting to read through some of these bits, but there's an article that came out that said there's no better proof to deny Holocaust denial Burial sites in countries where the Holocaust decimated Jewish populations have been mapped. A private organization that wants to preserve thousands of old Jewish cemeteries in Europe is using aerial drones to map burial sites in countries where the Holocaust uh, decimated Jewish populations that existed before World War II. The European Jewish Cemeteries Initiative said Tuesday that teams of drone operators plan to survey 1,500 endangered Jewish cemeteries in Slovakia, Greece, Moldova, Lithuania, and Ukraine this year. Once the boundaries are recorded, the sites will be enclosed and cleaned. The EU is funding the effort with a $911,100 grant, reporting the AP. The chief executive of the initiative, Philip Carmel, said, Walls fitted with locking gates will be erected around the graveyards, both to protect and to reestablish a physical presence. So people know that this is a Jewish cemetery. Many of the cemeteries to be surveyed and enclosed this year had to be found before they could be protected. Local residents helped the organization's researchers find some abandoned and grown over World War II uh, cemeteries, pre-1918 maps, and aerial photos that Germany's Luftwaffe used to pinpoint targets for aerial bombing missions helped reveal more. There are about 10,000 known Jewish burial sites in 46 European countries, according to the European Jewish Cemeteries Initiative. It's vital, especially, that the next generation of Europeans learn about Jewish existence to combat rising anti-Semitism and Holocaust denial, Carmel said. The cemeteries are so often the last physical proof of centuries of Jewish life in towns and villages of Europe, which were wiped out in the Shoah. There is no better proof to deny Holocaust denial. Nearly 100 Jewish graves were recently desecrated in France on top of that. How is it? Somebody explained that to me. How is it that in 2019 there's still anti-Semitism going on and, and this, I, I just, I don't know. I guess I'm too naive about it. We do have our guest. Oh, we do. Great. Uh, let's get to it. John Farrick joining us now to give us an update on the Stephen Avery case. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for popping in. Thanks for having me on again, Dave. All right. So big news dropped the other day. Now, Making a Murderer on Netflix and Making a Murderer Season 2. Uh, talking about the incarceration of Stephen Avery, this his original case, and then what happened with uh, the murder of Teresa Hallbeck. And then the new uh, series was really trying to go in deeper about, is this second murder case really trumped up case as well? And there's been all of this uh, hope to get some kind of appeal for Stephen Avery. And according to the headlines, have we gotten to that point? Is, is there an appeal eminent? Um, it looks like... Uh... Kathleen Zellner had a big uh, ruling that went her way this week that could uh, make the case a lot clearer moving forward, and it's good news for people that are fans of Steve Avery, Dave. Uh, the, uh, the Court of Appeals ruled in Kathleen Zellner's favor this week, allowing her to uh, have the case go back to, uh, to the local judge, and, um, and the judge is going to have to... Uh, um, take some new evidence in the case that is really uh, questionable, and this deals with some uh, some bones that were uh, found at one of the quarry sites. Again, a location that was far, far away from Stephen Avery's property, where the prosecutors claimed that the entire murder of Teresa Halbach happened. To prove that it didn't actually happen on the Avery farm uh, or property, and that uh, bones may have been planted later. In the article, I thought it was interesting, one of the comments said, that either you know an, an innocent man is in prison again, or the uh, police botched this case so poorly that a, a guilty man may end up going free. Um, is the police work that bad in the second case? I've heard different you know versions of the story, but you're working with Zellner. You've been boots on the ground looking at this case all the way through. What can you tell me? Is there really that much proof that this case was mishandled by the law? I mean, it certainly seems that way. I mean, these were, again, were agencies that that really uh, had virtually no experience, practical experience working uh, 
murder cases, let alone a complicated murder case uh, such as this. And and lo and behold, once they immediately decided, you know, to focus in on Stephen Avery, you had a lot of strange and mysterious clues that uh, that all turn up in such odd places that uh, the, it's really hard to understand, you know, the logic as far as if Steve Avery did do the crime, then how could it have happened in the manner, in the locations that the prosecutor had presented? And again, Zellner comes into the case fresh after making murder comes out and uh, you know, her experts have taken apart one piece of evidence after another. And again, just in recent months, they came across this um, unbelievable discovery that, uh, that apparently some of the several bone fragments that were uh, you know, that are believed to be Teresa Halbeck's bones, you know, were, um, were, were sent back to the family just a few years ago um, without notifying uh, Steve Avery or his lawyer at the time, which, again, uh, gets into the whole question of, uh, of, you know, disposal or, you know, destruction of evidence without even letting the defense know about it. But even more importantly than that, though, is that, it, is that these bones um, raise the strong, strong possibility that the murder happened, that Teresa Halbeck's body was disposed of nowhere near Stephen Avery's property, that it was over at the quarry, a quarry site about a half a mile away from his property. Well, what bones were turned over? Were, were they the bones that were found at the quarry, or were they bones that were found on the Avery property? Um, I, I believe uh, probably a combination of both, but I think in the most recent uh, uh, discovery that was made, the, the bone fragments are believed to be from the uh, the quarry. So isn't quarry it strange um, that they've never proven that those were Hallbacks, but yet the, they're releasing those bones to the Hallback family? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Dave. You're, you're totally right on the money. And, and that's, uh, I, I mean, that's a discovery I did not have in my book uh, that just came out on November 20th. So that's just to show you how recent this is. And this was not in Making a Murder Part 2, which was, you know, very well done. And that came out in October. So this is this case is still constantly, as people may know, it's constantly changing every every month, and it just heats up more and more and more. And again, these, you know, this discovery with these bones being, um, the realization that these bones were uh, apparently set back quietly you know, a few years ago and given to the Hallbach family, unknown to the defense, unknown to Avery, before Zellner got on the case. And it was always represented that, that you know, there's nothing to see here, folks. You know, whatever bones were found off-site uh, off over at one of the quarries, you know, supposedly had nothing to do with the case, according to the prosecution. And then you come to find out that, uh, that these are being given to the Hallbach family to, you know, um, to have uh... well let me ask you about this too according to the article that i'd read uh kathleen zellner said that as her team has picked apart this case that they and i can't remember the the name of the the deal i want to say it's like the bradley law or something do you know what i'm talking about they said that the, this law was violated several times during the investigation of this case oh the brady law brady the Bra okay the, the brady law what brady is the law? brady yeah, yeah, law i'm very familiar with that uh, Brady, Brady, uh, basically, it's, it's federal law. Um, it, it's it's a federal ruling that that basically uh, um, explains that the prosecution, you know, cannot hide or um, um, exclude evidence that the police, you know, have um, uncovered that would be favorable to the defense. So, in other words. If, 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 if you're investigating, if I'm being investigated for murder and you're doing the investigation and while you're doing the investigation, Dave, you find evidence that person B, you know, may be a better suspect or whatever, you have an obligation to turn that over as well to the defense. And, and so in this case with Brady, the issues are did the prosecution and the police hide or conceal or destroy evidence that would have been favorable to Steve Avery and his lawyers. And because they didn't know about that information, essentially they, that means that they would have been handicapped, that they would have gone into trial or the appeal process not knowing that there was exculpatory, exculpatory evidence that was being hid or concealed on them. And the federal courts historically and routinely are, are very, um, uh, they frown upon Brady violations. So if you hit with one, 
that's usually good enough to get a you know a new trial or even just get the case completely kicked out of court. And uh, Zellner's um, alleged that she's had numerous, I think four or five different um, aspects, different four or five different Brady violations she has raised in this case so far. With this new one being the most recent, with these uh, with these bones being given to the family. So one proven one is enough to maybe get him thrown out and, and released. They've uncovered at least five at this point. And according to the article as I was reading it, and John, help me understand this better, um, if if this goes, it could go one of a couple ways. The appeal process could get him a brand new court date and, and he could be retried. How do you retry somebody in a case like this? Uh, how, how is that not double, uh, what is it, indemnity or so? I mean, he's already nope. been tried. And double found jeopardy? Je- double jeopardy. He's already been found guilty. If there's uh, if there's enough proof to, to reopen this, why isn't he just, uh, I guess, well, I guess that answers the question because they're now going back to try to prove yes, innocence in yeah. this. Right, okay. So um, that right. helps and, out and, in the and, case. Yeah, and, and those things go both ways. I've seen a lot of times where somebody will get – a new trial, Dave, where the courts will order it, and then either the prosecution hangs on to the case for several more months and then makes a decision at the last minute to completely dismiss the case, or sometimes they do go ahead and try the person a second time and have success you know, or failure. So it's really hard to say, but as Zellner has maintained, and, and consistently in, with her history of wrongful conviction cases, that usually when she wins and gets a new trial, Oftentimes, the prosecution um, um, waves the white flag and gives up, and, and never goes through with a second, you so, know, second trial um, because she's uh, just has such a strong case stacked against them. So then, that that kind of brings about the fact: are, Do you think that we're going to see them attempt to do with Stephen Avery like they did with the West Memphis Three? Will the government make an attempt to do an Alford plea so that they never have to pay Avery? And say, all right, you know, listen, I mean, we could go through court yeah. and cost all this money and all this time again, or we can give the Alfred plea and we'll, we'll release Avery, which is him still admitting that he's guilty, but we're going to let him go. Right. Um, and then that right. way he I has would, no yeah, I, no claim to the money. Because I got to guess, if, if he goes that. back to trial and they find him innocent, uh, the state between Minnesota and Illinois is soon probably going to be the great state of Avery because he's going to own that state. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. how you couldn't. He, he's going to be a, a billionaire from this from the state of, of Wisconsin if it's proven two cases back to back put him in jail for you know what a total of thirty some years of his life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could certainly see them going, trying to do anything and everything they could along those lines, including the Alfred plea. But, uh, but obviously, Zellner, you know, has 25 years of experience in these kinds of cases. So she has case law, you know, and history on her side. So she knows whether it would be a smart move on her part to accept an Alfred plea or not. And, and I, I would say there's probably a 99.5, maybe even higher percent chance that she would reject an Alfred plea and, and basically dare the state of Wisconsin to go through with a new trial, you know, and uh, see, you know, and take her chances, uh, you know, of, uh, of, of uh, making them go through with that and then embarrassing themselves. I mean, that's right. the thing too. If they go through with that and just make fools of themselves and give people like you, me and everybody else in the world, you know, fodder to, to, you know, st- you know, to scrutinize, you know, a second uh, round of this. I mean, that'll just be an embarrassment for all these politicians yeah. and people in office. Uh, you know, that they probably don't want to go through. John, thank you so much. Wrecking Crew, Demolishing the Case Against Stephen Avery, came out in November. The book is out and available. Uh, keep updated. And, John, we'll, we'll talk to you again as more news breaks. Great. Thanks again, Dave. You have a great day. You too. Thank you. Stay tuned. We've got more coming your way right here on The Tom Bernard Show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for 
the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Welcome back to the Tom Bernard Show. Amy Baker will join us a little bit later on in the program. Now, what's the name of the book we're, we're going to be talking about? Um, let's see here. I have to. My calendar keeps jumping because it's almost March. Yep. We're rounding that corner. It's co-parenting with a toxic ex. What to do when your ex-spouse tries to turn the kids against you? Man, I could have used that book <laughs> a few times in my life. Crazy. All right, we just got done talking about the case of Stephen Avery. Yeah. Can you see, honestly, Andy, can you see any situation where this guy's not going to bankrupt the state of Wisconsin if he's found innocent? Uh, I mean, he had to give up his money. He had to take a smaller portion from the first deal in order to pay the attorneys to protect him for the second one. And if he's found that it's not, he's not guilty and that he was wrongfully imprisoned for the second time and had to give up the hundreds of millions of dollars... Uh, and I don't know if it was hundreds of millions. It was a lot of damn. The money. original uh, lawsuit in two thousand three was twenty or thirty six million, but since then a bunch of other craps happened. So I've got to guess if this if he gets found uh, if he's exonerated from this crime, I, I, I he's going to bankrupt the state. I would. Oh yeah, he had to. The original suit was thirty six million, and they settled it for four hundred thousand. Yeah, so he could so afford he had, his attorney for this case. So, yeah, if if he is found innocent, then, yeah, I don't know how they're going to recover from that. They're just going to have to – they're going to gut the entire Wisconsin justice system. Oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be un- unbelievable. You know what I'm interested in, though, is if they're taking it back to the local judge and the local judges are the ones that screwed this case the first time, what the hell do they think they're going to do – the second time around. I, I mean, Zellner, mm-hmm. obviously, the world is going to have them under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Watching this case. Every every channel is going to be watching this case to see how it unfolds. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I mean, you had like the West Memphis three. They had the Alfred plea. I don't know if that could really play a role in this case. Oh, it will, because they're going to try to get him out. They may relent to the fact that we're screwed. So we have one or two options. Mm-hmm. We go back to court and lose and he's going to sue us for a bajillion dollars. Or we offer him an Alfred plea saying, hey, we probably could nail you again, mm-hmm. But we'll get, which is what they did to the West Memphis Three. And to his credit, Jason Baldwin, one of the three, he was the lone holdout. He didn't want to sign the Alfred plea. Yeah. But then he realized that him not signing the Alfred plea, this was the last chance for Damian Eccles. Yeah. and And he was going to be put to death. Mm-hmm. So they reversed, and, and he signed that, and... Um, I wonder if he regrets that now, because from what I understand, Damien Eccles has been a real prick uh, since he got out of prison to Jason and, and Jesse about this whole thing. Oh, he's been like that to both of them. Yes. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Jesse Miss Kelly just kind of 
was reabsorbed by his community and just is very quiet. Um, well, he wasn't even really that good friends with no. with uh, the two other guys. No, and Jason, and Jason and Jason Baldwin, I think, really. I, I wonder if he regrets it because he was like, "No, I want to go back to court. I want our day in court. We we were innocent. We shouldn't have had to deal with this." Yeah, I, so. I agree with them. I mean, because you know whether. I mean, the majority of the population, I think, realized that those boys were uh, set up. In- I think it took three documentaries to get people yeah, to that point. Yeah, it took a while to get there. But It's just a shame that more cases can't be examined that way and have somebody that's willing to put that kind of light on a case. Because that's what's that's what's saving Stephen Avery's butt right now. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you this, though. A good chunk of that area of Wisconsin do think that he is guilty. Oh, and yeah. He would have to move. I don't. State. I don't think he would. You don't think so? Nope. I think. I think he'd be a moron if he stayed because they're going to look for any reason going forward. He'd be better off just collecting his money and moving to Iowa mm-hmm. or somewhere because I. I would not. Would you trust the state that's no. already incarcerated you twice for crimes you didn't commit? If they're feeling bent out of shape, I'd just be afraid the local cops mm-hmm. or the people that messed up might have a, a score to settle. I mean, there was a lot with his first case of raping and assaulting that woman. I understand kind of where the the mistakes have happened because they didn't have the DNA, they didn't have the science to back it back it up, and that's what exonerated him was the DNA, I believe, because uh, it was found mm-hmm. on another rape case, and then they realized, oh, we don't have the guy. He did. I mean, the description that the woman gave did look like Stephen Avery's description what he looked like and the guy that was the perpetrator and that kind of had that same description as well but um and i think that's why he was roped in and in charge with the murder of Teresa halbach because they wanted to put him away because if you're put away you cannot collect you can't really sue anybody if you're convicted of a felony right so i think that's what the whole premise of framing him was Mm -hmm. and now it's starting to backfire on him right and and yeah it's it's got to go horribly wrong Mm -hmm. in the news uh, today amanda knox recently found herself wrongly accused of murder again although this time it was during a murder mystery dinner party with friends victorian london a priceless painting goes missing and the owner is found both poisoned and stabbed and would you believe it? I, the Countess of Lovelace, am accused. Also acquitted all in four hours. Better than four years, Knox quipped on Instagram alongside two sepia-toned photos of herself in costume at the event. Needless to say, the jokey reference to the murder of Meredith Kircher and the years Knox spent uh, jailed in Italy was getting a mixed reaction, Fox News reports. Uh, the Shade, enjoy your deserved freedom, lovely, reads one uh, sample supportive comment. Others called Knox's post brilliant and priceless, but there were comments on the other side. Uh, though none could be found on the post as of this writing, one commenter asked if comments had been deleted. Fox quotes one person who accused Knox of having no shame and another who said she would do anything for attention. You know what? If you're put away for four years for a crime you didn't commit and you can't try to have a light heart about it, and then mm-hmm. people want to be schmucks about that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so, I have such morbid, morbid thinking. I was coming off a cruise. I was like, wouldn't that be a fun cruise? A murder mystery cruise with the infamous people that have been accusing, like O.J. Simpson, show up. <laughs> no. Amanda Knox. Uh, all these infamous No, because cases. Amanda Knox and Stephen Avery and Damian Eccles were innocent. Yeah, true. I think you bring uh, O.J. on. That's a whole new Oh, vibe. he would totally do it for the money, though. He probably would yeah and he'd get up and say and tell you hypothetically if he was to commit the murder how he would have done it (laughs) that was such a weird move (laughs) i know right that was like a non-confession confession confession. no i mean imagine if you did it and you were just given free reign to admit to it and cloak it behind fiction Mm -hmm. that would probably be pretty freeing yeah don't you think I know, but it was like the whole world knew. I mean, it wasn't like this kind of mystery, did he really do it? Everybody knows he was involved, whether he did it himself or had an accomplice with him or hired somebody to do it. I don't know that uh, I did a show on True Crime Tuesday about the case. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty close case as well, but I really do think that maybe that that thief was the one that did it. Mm -hmm. And, And OJ is very aware of how it happened, but I don't think that was his plan. Yeah. So that to me, and I don't know. Are you are you guys true crime fans at all? 
Melissa, Andy, eh. anybody? No? Could care less? Right. I'm obsessed. I going to say, I'll loan you the book. It's pretty remarkable to see this case. And I wish I remembered the name of it now, but it was like O.J., the, yeah. the well, jewel thief and something else. We had him on else. this show, right. too, mm-hmm. as well. Oh, did you? To, yeah. Yeah, to do the book. And, yeah, his whole um, theory is that O.J. came across this, you know, crossed paths with this guy um, who was a criminal thief. and But he was also accused of kind of like a serial rapist and murderer in other states. And, and supposedly O.J. didn't know that. He just wanted his jewelry and stuff from Nicole and hired this guy to go and get it back from her. Kind of like how the whole scenario happened in Vegas when he had hired guns to go get his stolen stuff. It's kind of a gotcha. similar case when it, if you think about it there, but... Luckily, that case didn't go the way it did with Nicole. I gotta love this. We maybe I'm just too close to the whole Breaking Bad series we just watched. Hmm. <clears throat> Here's the headline: Guy who spent five hundred and forty dollars on Girl Scout cookies has been arrested by the DEA. Huh? I'm glad that that wasn't a case when I was buying Girl Scout <laughs> cookies because I'd have been put away. So much for that feel-good story. The Drug Enforcement Admin- Administration says it has arrested Dietrich Lee McGowan. The South Carolina man who spent $540 on cookies to get a group of Girl Scouts out of the cold. Investigators say the 46-year-old could afford to be generous. He was allegedly involved in a conspiracy to import heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl from Mexico, the state reports. The numerous charges against McGowan and nine other suspects include conspiracy to import controlled substances and conspiracy to commit bulk cash smuggling. Authorities say he has been arrested at least six times before and arrived uh, or recently served two years in federal prison for cocaine possession. McGowan gained viral attention after he bought every box of Girl Scout cookies in Greenville's Troop 1574 um, on Friday. Agents say McGowan had been uh, under surveillance for months, and the arrest Tuesday was completely unrelated to the cookie purchase. He used his story of buying $540 of Girl Scout cookies to falsely shine the spotlight on himself under the pretense of being a pillar of the community, while in reality... He's a pariah to the community, says Robert J. Murphy, the special agent in charge of the DEA's Atlanta Field Division, per Fox News. Murphy says that instead of helping the community, McGowan delivered immeasurable and untold pain to the scores of family who are dealing with opiate addiction. Wow, that's like every drug dealer movie premise ever. Although I would have been like packing the drugs into the Girl Scout cookie boxes and Uh delivering them that way because that is a drug within a drug. Yeah, it's like New Jack City, man. New Jack, God, that's been about 180 years since oh, I, I know, saw right? New Jack City. Nino Brown. I'm trying to see if we've got any other interesting news stories to kind of, everything is all about Cohen right now and, and I, Trump. I know, I'm trying, it's so hard to find good news because it's just so saturated with all this political crap. I'm, I'm just going to say it, crap, because it's the same old stuff, so it's hard to weed through all that. Yeah, boy, it's just one story. Well, speaking After of Breaking another. Bad, there's a talks that they're going to be doing a Breaking Bad movie, which is supposed to be a Netflix original, which I'm super looking forward to. Aaron Paul is signed on, correct? Was that what the article? That was the yeah the case that Aaron Paul is going to return as Jesse Pinkman. And Brian Cranston says if Vince Gilliam, Gilliam. Yeah. is on board, then he is as well. So I'm assuming there might be well, some... Well, he said like, if, if Vince Gilligan offers him a spot to come yeah. back. And I, I don't know if it would be a flashback sequence or what, because there's a pretty... Open-ended... Well, they, they made it seem as though it ended. You know, mm-hmm. that, that series was much, like more, Sopranos. much more fulfilling than, <laughs> than The Sopranos. I mean, how do we know? It could have been the waiter coming up wearing a GoPro cam to Tony Soprano. Very well could be. Yeah. Can I take your order? It wasn't. He didn't have a gun. Or maybe it was uh, Walt White that uh, made his <laughs> yeah, way. taking out Tony's. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been kind of cool. Holy or Dexter. Dexter. Yeah, that was part of the, I, the the fun. Did you guys have you guys ever watched Breaking Bad? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the time, I remember when they were wrapping up Breaking Bad. I think there was like one season left of Dexter, and they were petitioning, trying to end it with Brian Cranston's Walter White thinking he got away with everything and then he turns around and there's there's Dexter and that's how the end of the series would go. That would have been great. And yes. you wouldn't have to call him Dexter. You just have Michael C. Hall standing there. 
right? That's true. And that would have been fantastic. Yes. Oh, my God. I think everyone would have lost their minds, fans of the show, both shows. They would have just lost it. I know I would have. I, yeah. I love Dexter so much, I named my two cats after his name, Dexter Morgan. That's funny. I know. Mm. And they're they're murderous. I think I really I really think <laughs> they're murderous. Like last night, Dexter kiddies. Dexter comes up to me. He's all sweet. Well, first he I didn't realize he snuck into Dave's studio. <laughs> you can hear him meowing at the door. So I go get him. I cuddle him up in in the bed, and I, I'm getting under the covers. And he thinks, oh look, something's moving under the covers. Let me attack it. Well, yep. it was my toes. Yep. And <laughs> that cat can bite through any fabric. I. And I'm just like, ow, ow. And I'm like, I'm trying to love you. Let me love you. <laughs> you bite my toes. I'm not a cat guy, and I have five of them. You love those fur balls. Yes, you do. Packages of love. I mean, they're horrible, horrible. I'm not much of a cat person either, mm-hmm. but our new kitten is adorable. Kitten. Yeah, I know. I saw pictures. She, so Hobbs, she's uh, pretty. You have Hobbs and a new kitten? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, what kind of cat? Uh, she is just all gray. Yeah. She, must, looks... she must be part ta- tabby because she's got like stripes going down her tail. But she's got the gray like Church did in Pet Cemetery. Oh. Yeah, she's very, very like silvery gray. <laughs> yeah. And she her eyes are really cool still. She's got green or what are they? They're like hazel-y eyes with mm-hmm. green right yeah. in the middle. Oh, very so, cool. So we don't know if that's going to go what away. What exciting life. Engage, but... new kittens. You guys are living it. we got to take a break. We'll come back. Stay tuned. With... Amy Baker joining yep. us right after this. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you. Do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff, 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Robbie, who started in sales and is now director of recruitment. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Welcome back to the program. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back with you guys live on Monday. You're stuck with me today, tomorrow, and Friday. Joining us now on the uh, program... Who do we have? Amy Baker is joining us. Yes, uh-huh. Amy J.L. Baker, who wrote the book Co-Parenting with a Toxic <laughs> Ex, What to Do When Your Ex-Spouse Tries to Turn the Kids Against You. Boy, Amy, I could have used this book <laughs> about 10 years ago. Thank you for joining us today. Amy, are you there? Amy, can you hear me? <laughs> she should be. Are we having issues with our audio? Well, Amy, uh, we are here. If you pop in, the- oh, hello. oh, there you are. Hello. Oh, it's so she dropped. Apparently, who do we have online with us oh, now? This then this is Carl. This is Carl. Hey, Carl. <laughs> hello. I didn't mean to interrupt your interview. No problem, Carl. Oh, our our, our guest uh, is is back online. Why don't you, if you want, give us a call back tomorrow when phone lines are open? Can you do that? We love you. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I'll tune in. Thank you, Carl. We appreciate it. All right. Amy Baker is now with us on the show. Amy, welcome to the show. Hey. 
Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Boy, I, as I was saying, I could have used this book a good 10 years ago, but thank you for coming on and, and sharing some insight. Uh, many of us that have uh, shared responsibility of a child with someone else and, and that other person may not always have the same best interests in mind we hope for for our children. There's nothing more heartbreaking and uh, irritating all at the same time. Give us some tips and hints on how to start working through this with a toxic ex. Sure. So the first thing, of course, is it's probably not helpful to refer to your ex as a toxic ex, to your <laughs> ex, or your children. So in that sense, I feel a little badly about the title of the book. It grabs people's attention. It gives them a very quick way of understanding what we're talking about. But in general, it's not so great to label people. So if you're having conflict uh, with your child, you find that your child is disrespectful or rude or entitled or arrogant or, you know, a range of behaviors, it's, it's often the case that the parent who's on the receiving end of that will say, hey, I think my ex is turning my kids against me. My kid used to be polite and loving and cooperative, and now they're really not. And so the first tip that I give people is make sure that it's actually not you. Make sure that you're not doing something that is provoking negativity in your relationship with your child. And now let's assume that you sort of ruled that out, that your normative parenting hasn't really changed. Then you have to say, well, is there something that I'm doing that's provoking my ex to engage in these behaviors that are then resulting in my child being more negative with me? So you need to make sure that you're being polite and appropriate to your ex, that you're not doing something that's threatening them and making them feel that you're trying to turn the children against them. Once you rule those two big things out, then you can start to look at what are the things that the other parent is doing that you think is negatively impacting your relationship with your child. All right. You see, that, that's been the issue. You know, I had... Um with my ex-wives, there was a lot of undermining going on behind the scenes. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I'm a petty human like most of us. And, you know, I I would let it get to me. And I I tried to avoid conversations with my children about it. But, you know, the fact was that they were seeing the way it was. And my one ex could never understand why after spending time with me and then going to her house, he would be so upset. And I finally just told her, I said, well, listen, um, you know, you, you paint this picture of his father and then he comes here and it's everything that every, you know, it's the complete opposite of everything you're trying to tell him. So instead of acting like the perpetual victim all the time, if we act like we can just get along and instead of you feeling the need to constantly badmouth him so that he loves you more or badmouth me, you know, and she just couldn't wrap her head around the fact that he was going there. And the reason he was kind of out of control with her was I, I was his buddy. I'm his dad, and I wasn't the guy that she was painting me out to be, and it was really starting to affect him and impact him. And I kept trying to push that point to her that, look, the more you you try to be self-destructive with me and throw me under the bus for whatever crimes you want there to be, all it's going to do is cost you because he continues to see the reality of it. He's not stupid. And, and she's, you know, at the end, unfortunately, it took a very long time. She could see what that impact was. But it was hard trying to have a logical and adult conversation with somebody that's in that mindset and does live in this kind of victim toxicity. It, it's very hard to have logical explanations or, or discussions with them on how to, ser- you know, better ser- serve your children. Yeah, so I think that what I'd like to pick up on of what you said is, in a sense, you might not feel this way, but you might actually be one of the lucky ones in that it sounds like you eventually did have a meeting of the mind, so to speak, with your ex. Many people find that um, there are certain personality types that are really impervious to feedback. So you could say to the other person, you're hurting the child. You think you're hurting me, but you're actually hurting your child. One day your child might be really mad at you for what you're doing, and their response will be, you have nothing to say of value to me. I can't really hear you. And so um, most of the work that I do in coaching parents is helping them not convince the other person, hey, what you're doing is bad, 
because they've already tried that and that hasn't worked, but what to do as a parent in their relationship with their kid that can inoculate the child from becoming alienated. And that's the second point I wanted to make. It sounds like your kid never actually became alienated from you, which again, hats off to you. You're definitely one of the lucky ones. And I know that's hard. That might be hard to hear because it sounds like you've been through an awful lot of frustration and interference and undermining and pain and agony and suffering. But there are people who go through all of that and lose their kids, not because the kids aren't smart enough to see through it, but some kids are susceptible to manipulation. And some parents are better manipulators. Maybe your ex-wife wasn't a very effective manipulator. And so your kid was able to see, hey, mom's calling the sky green, but I can look up there and see that it's actually blue. Right. And that, that was the case that I had. I, I think it was, you know, again, not that you're, you're, we demote our children in intelligence or, or ability to perceive things. My kids, luckily, were very perceptive, and that's what drove them so crazy was that they could see that I was not what, I, what they were being told. I can't say that with my youngest. Yeah. Uh, his mom has gone through amazing destructive ways to try to discredit and, and disavow me and, and do that. And it's been brutal. Because I, I do see some dissension, I think is a fair word, in, in dealing with him because he he wants so much to believe I'm a good dad, the dad that he sees when he's with me and, and the time we spend together. But then he goes home and, and there is just this mire that he is in and surrounded and constantly being told. I mean, it's not even like on occasion he's constantly being told. Mommy loves you the best. Daddy doesn't even want to be around you. That you know, and it's it's re- ridiculous claims and comments. And he wants to believe because he loves mom so much and lives with her. But he's really he's the one I worry most about. He's in a constant state of conflict. We don't talk about her when he's yeah. with us. We you know he may bring up mom said this and I go well that's that's not true and you can see for yourself that's not the truth. And I love having you around and we love having you around. So he does see those things, but it, it's heartbreaking to watch him navigate those waters. And all we can do is really just prove by example and and not talk yeah. about her in the way that she talks and reacts about us. Yeah, and I would build on that to say that when your child makes an accusation, you know, you don't really love me, you broke up the family, you stole my college money, you don't know how to boil water. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, it's actually not the best option to say that's not true um, or that's a lie or who told you that or you know I love you, I don't know why you would say I don't or any of those other things. And it's an interesting thought process that targeted parents go through and maybe you go through something like this where you say, you know, my kid is upset or angry because he believes X, whatever X is. X is a lie. And so I need to tell my child that X is a lie and then he won't be upset anymore. And that actually, sometimes it works. Maybe it's working with your kid. So don't do anything different of what you feel you're doing is working. But I do have another approach that I suggest to parents, which is to actually start by thanking the child for sharing their concern. So if your child says, you don't love me, you could say, you know, son, I really appreciate that you're telling me what's on your mind. And I love you so much, I always want to know when you're upset with me. And really kind of keep it on, you know. You could say it's easy to complain about somebody behind their back. I'm, it takes courage to look me in the eye and tell me when you're upset with me. I'm really proud of you. So you really actually want to cultivate a kind of relationship with your kid where they can bring their concerns to you so that you can work through them rather than, you know, them sort of keeping it to themselves. And I, I know we're, we have very limited time here, but that's just step one of a five-step process for dealing with when your kid accuses you of something. Well, no pressure. We have four minutes left. You could just give me 30 seconds on each topic. <laughs> now, I know that you got to really delve in deep. Okay. But So what are some of the other highlights, the, the other things? And I know we want people to buy the book and and educate themselves more fully instead of just a quick 
speed dating way to reinvigorate your life and, and your children. But what are some of the other big important yeah. roles that we need to do as parents to, to avoid this? Teaching critical thinking skills, so anytime your child says, you know, so-and-so is the best thing in the world, or Coke is better than Pepsi, or I don't care what it is, it's, oh, that's interesting. How did you come to that? What, you know, how did, what's your thought process? What's your evidence? How do you come to decision-making? Because ultimately alienation is the, you know, is the corruption of the child's independent thinking, ability to know his or, own, you know, his or her own truth. So not that you want to challenge the child, but you want to praise your child. Like, oh, that's so interesting. I think X, but you think Y. You have your own thoughts. How did you come to those thoughts? So there's a lot of activities in that book and suggestions for how to cultivate critical thinking. Another element in the coaching suggestion that I offer to parents is to cultivate forgiveness in children. Because, again, one of the things that alienation uh, sort of preys on is when a child stops being forgiving because, look, let's face it, all parents are human, all humans make mistakes, all parents make mistakes. Alienation is when the child won't forgive the parent for a forgivable mistake. And so when you when your child does something that hurts your feelings or annoys you, you can say, you know, buddy, I didn't really care for that. I forgive you. Let's move on. Or when you're watching a movie or reading a book or you see a character or another person engaged in forgiveness, you can just sort of subtly mention it. You want it to be, you know, the language of compassion and right. empathy and forgiveness right. and integrity to be a part of what you're cultivating in your family. And those are the kinds of values that inoculate kids from alienation. Amy, thank you so much for the insights. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and, and getting some of this. So I appreciate it personally as a, a father who's had to deal with this for many years. And uh, I encourage everybody to pick up a book. We'll have a copy uh, or link to your book on our site so people can find it there more easily as well. So thank you for doing this, Amy. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for your interest. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, i got to ask everybody, please help us out. Hit our goal for the Special Olympics. My Minnesota firefighter son, Cliff, is doing the Polar Plunge coming up on March 1st for the Special Olympics. And you can help us make the day of our Special Olympians in Minnesota. All you have to do is go to darknessradio.com, darknessradio.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and click on the Polar Plunge banner. You can make a donation in any size that you're comfortable with. And if just... Just the listeners of this show went and donated $1 each. We would blow the doors off, be able to help send uh, Special Olympians to the Special Olympics, help them with their training, their uniforms, their travel expenses. You could make a big difference and a big impact into these Special Olympians' lives. Just go make a donation, any size that you're comfortable with. Chris Jericho, the wrestler, just made a $1,000 donation to help us out. Our goal, $5,000 uh, for this uh, program. If you can do it, please Open your hearts to that and just go check it out at darknessradio.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll be able to find all the information there on making the donation. And join me Monday through Friday on Midnight in the Desert, the best in anomalous talk radio, Saturdays and Sundays on Beyond the Darkness, the best in paranormal talk radio, and Tuesdays on True Crime Tuesday. Uh, I will be filling in for Tom Bernard for the rest of this week. Tom will be back with you on Monday. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay tuned. There's more coming on the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader. <laughs> Thank you.